come on up here. Uh, Mike and Ellen have been here since Friday, and we've met together, had meals together. I put my fast on pause so that we could enjoy each other's company around the dinner table, and we've had a great weekend together. We met with the elders and their wives last night, and we had an informal, I guess you could say, interview, and uh, it was very encouraging. So Mike is here today. He's going to preach for us this morning, and we would call this, I don't know if you know what the name of this process is, but it's called a candidation process. And so he is here checking us out, so smile, everyone, okay? And we're here checking you guys out, so smile, you guys, all right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're just seeking God's face. We're seeking his heart. Is this the time? Is this the place? Is this where we could do ministry together? Or is there another place for you guys? So we're very open to what God is leading us into. And uh, we are just very encouraged through the testimonies of God's grace in this couple's life. And, of course, little Max. Hey, Max. The star of the show last night, for sure. So I want to pray for you guys and uh, ask God just to anoint you and bless you. Of course, you're going to preach, so I'm going to pray for that, too. But just in general, okay? So, Father, we just thank you for this couple. We praise you that we've been able just to spend the weekend together. They love you dearly, deeply. And they love your church the same. And so, God, I just pray your blessing on them. You have a place for them. Is it here? We're listening, Father. We're, we're listening to your heart. And Father, we just ask, oh God, you have promised, according to the scriptures, that the steps of good people are ordered by the Lord, and you delight in their way. And so thank you that those steps have led them here, especially for this weekend, and now we're just wondering, God, are the steps to go further? And we just need to know your will in this. And so we just ask for that in Jesus' holy name. Pray your blessing on this family, anointing on them the work that they do in Calgary right now. Just bless it in the name of Christ. And I pray specifically for Mike today as he brings God's word to us. Oh God, open it up to our hearts and minds. Challenge us today from your word through Mike. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Children's ministry and nursery. You guys are welcome to head out and join the kids over in the children's ministry. If you don't know where it is, just ask an usher or somebody back there. They'll guide you along the way. I got it. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Ah, eh, that's kind of the answer I heard anyway. Is that really how everybody's doing? Kind of, yeah. Great. Oh, which? Hmm. Okay. So I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, it's kind of ironic. Uh, there's a uh, song that neither Ellen nor I really enjoy that shows up on the message. And whenever that shows up, we change stations. Uh, and that happened this morning. We changed. And uh, Ellen's a big country music fan, so she switched to a country station. Uh, I'm a much bigger fan of country music than I was before I met Ellen, for sure. Um, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Uh, but the song that came on um, made me laugh because I was like, oh, that's how I should start my message. Because uh, it was a Toby Keith song. It was, I want to talk about me. Um, don't we all love doing that? At least somewhat. We want to talk about us uh, because we want to be known. We want people to understand us. We want people to understand our heart, our passion, our desires. Um, and then it starts getting a little sketchy. 
Because what about our fears, our insecurities, our areas where we fall short? And we know we fall short. We don't always want people to know those. Um, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you all those about myself today. Um, but I, I do tend to touch on them a little bit. Um, but if I were to try and list all of them, um, Josh told me I needed to be done by 1230. Uh, I might not be if I was doing that. And so. I love it. You guys are laughing already. This is good. It's a little bit about me. I mean, you've met, kind of, Ellen and Max. Uh, both of them have uh, changed my life immensely. Uh, I can look four years ago, uh, back essentially when I first met Ellen. Um, my life drastically started to change, kind of at that point. Uh, it's easy to look and say, you know, there was before Ellen and there's after Ellen. Uh, there's a difference there, absolutely. Uh, but then there's also before Max and after Max. Uh, and any of you who have had kids, you know exactly what that's like. Everything changes, right? Like the way your house is set up, totally different. Um, and it's just, it's weird. But one of the things that's really cool about it is I can look at Max in particular. Um, and not to leave Ellen out of this, but I know I can look at Max and I'd say, you know, what wouldn't I do for that little boy? You know, what wouldn't I put aside in terms of my own desires, uh, my own passions, if he needed it? Right? Or what lengths would I go to to get him the things that he needs? Uh, that's definitely where I'm at. And I'm sure almost every dad feels that way. I know I'm not entirely unique in that. Uh, but I know that's the case, right? That's a little bit about me. Um, I mean, those, I could have just said I'm a husband and a dad, and you probably would have guessed some of those, but I wanted to really point them out because I think they have some bearing on where we want, where we want to go today, what we want to talk about. Uh, and that topic is intercessory prayer. Uh, you guys have been talking about prayer over the last while. And I know you prayed for Max last week. Uh, as you noticed, Max is fine. He's healthy. He's smiley. He's fantastic. He does not. It's awesome. Um, and anyone who doubts that prayer works, um, I can give you all kinds of examples, both from that um, or even just from this weekend. <laughs> uh, it's been quite a weekend for me health-wise. And uh, God's been good. God has provided uh, the times I've needed to be up and about and active and communicating with people, I've had the energy uh, and the health to do so. The rest of the time, <laughs> so. Okay, uh, but so that's great. God answers prayer. Can, will everyone agree to that, first of all? Okay. Is it exciting? You're excited that Max didn't have croup, and so am I, <laughs> but... Okay, so it's exciting when he says, yes, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to heal that. I'm going to take care of that. But what about when the answer is no or not yet? Because we get those answers sometimes too, right? Like I'm sure without even really stopping to think about it, you can think of someone in your life that you've been praying for 
and you know others have been praying for that still hasn't been healed, that still has that need in their life. One of the things in Calgary in particular that's a major concern to many people uh, is jobs. And there are so many people who have been looking for so long. Um, and you just, you got to wonder, well, why is that? I mean, it's not that people aren't praying. And one of the dangers with this, I think, is we start to feel shame because, well, if they're not being answered, is that because I don't have enough faith? Is there something I'm doing wrong in this prayer? And I had a nice long uh, discourse on prayer and suffering and healing uh, that I thought, well, I could share that with you guys because that's a really great topic. Uh, but at the same time, it's not really where I wanted to go with this. Uh, the more I was working on that, the more I thought, you know, God, that's not... And let, if that's where you want me to go, great. But God was saying, no. We need to focus more on what do we expect when we come before God? To prayer. What I want to do, so I want to give you another phrase to take the place of expecto patronum. Expecto patronum, and you can discuss openly, and you can be heard, and you can be reasoned with. You can have that ongoing communication. And when we pray, that's what we should spec expect. Expect that God will meet us there. Expect that he will hear what we have to say. And just think about how fantastic that is. We're not talking about, you know, when I pray, uh, I get a chance to talk to Kevin. Or I get a chance to talk to Dave or whoever, right? It's, I get a chance to talk to and meet with and have him come meet with me, God, the creator of the universe. The one who, no matter who it is I'm praying for, whether it's myself, whether it's someone else, uh, whether it's the person I love most in the world, I get a chance to meet with the one person or being or whatever pronoun you want to use who cares more about that person than you do. That's incredible. That's fantastic, isn't it? And I get it's not easy because the answer is not always exactly what we want to hear. But I think if we change that expectation, we change it from, well, I expect right away that God's going to give me exactly the answer I want to, I expect that God will be there. And God will hear it. And God will know. <coughs> Excuse me. From there, I think it allows us a greater opportunity to participate in suffering. I'm going to come back to suffering a little later on. But I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with suffering. I think we often look at it as the big bad boogeyman, that we don't want to do that. And of course we don't want to suffer. But there's a lot of benefit to it. And we'll come back to that later. So in the meantime, uh, there's going to be a couple passages we're going to look at. First one I want to look at is from Exodus 32. And in Exodus 32, 
I'm just going to kind of run through this chapter for the most part. I'll highlight a couple points. But what we see is the Israelites having a little trouble. So the Israelites have been following God through the desert. Uh, he's led them to this mountain. And he said, you know, Moses, I want you and Aaron and some other leaders. I want, them, you know, all these 72 to come forward and we're going to have this banquet together. And he says, okay, Moses, I need you and Joshua to come. Uh, the rest can go back and be with the people for a while. And I'm going to give you my covenant. We're going to put it on these giant tablets. And this is kind of the setting for where this is at. God's setting up his covenant with his people. This isn't a new covenant. It's not totally new. Uh, he's already had this relationship with his people. Uh, he's made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, uh, to Israel. Uh, that their descendants would be numerous, more numerous than they could count. The stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. Right? This is after this. So this is all happening. But he's deepening that relationship. That's what God's doing here. And here we get so Moses is up on the mountain. And we see at the beginning of verse 32, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. Now, hold on a second here. You're doing what? These are the Israelites who have been led out of Egypt. The waters have parted. They've had, you know, God present in their midst in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. Um, you know, he showed up for their leaders at this banquet uh, so that they could actually see him. And Moses is up on this mountaintop for a little while. And they say, oh, I don't know what's going on with him. But make us gods who will go before us. Because we don't know what's going on with Moses. Now the thing about this mountain, and you can see mountains from here in Hinton, which is fantastic. We love that. It's one of the things that as we drove into town, we were like, oh yeah, I like mountains. You can see them from our place in Calgary too, which is great. Uh, but they're a lot closer here. That's pretty cool. But, you know, when you look at a mountain and you can see a big cloud on top of it, just hitting the top, that's what they would have seen because God's present in that cloud talking to Moses. So it's not like it's a matter of, well, I can't tell if God's still up there meeting with Moses. It's pretty apparent. All they have to do is look up to the mountain. Right? They're right at the foot of the mountain. When you're at the foot of a mountain, can you miss the mountain? It's pretty tough to do, right? It's right there. But no, here they are. We don't know what's going on with Moses. So build us, make us gods to go before us. And Aaron, in an incredible moment of weakness, says, okay, take off your gold earrings and your sons and daughters' gold earrings and bring them to me. So they do that. He takes them all. He throws them into the fire. And then he fashions a golden calf out of it. Just me, or does this seem a little strange? Like, I can understand somewhat the people here. The people haven't met with God directly. Aaron, Aaron was one of the, one, one of the 72 who got to go up and have that banquet. How has he all of a sudden gotten to this point? And I don't want to focus too much on Aaron at this point. 
Uh, it's an entirely different message and it'll get us on a rabbit trail that would take me a while to recover from. So but Aaron does this and he builds this and the, it says tomorrow will be a fellowship, a festival to the Lord. So the next day they rose early, they offered these burnt sacrifices, present fellowship offerings and they sat down to eat and they got up to indulge in revelry. They're having a party. Then we get to the sticking point in terms of what's happening up on the mountain. Verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. And they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And I will make you into a great nation. I think God's a little upset. And rightfully so. But here's where we get to the whole intercessory prayer idea. Moses stops. And Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said... Why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with a great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. And then we see God's response. And the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. That's the kind of prayer we love, right? Where you pray it and immediately God says, okay, we can do that. We love immediately answered prayer. But what did Moses expect? He expected to be heard. He expected that God would listen, right? And sure enough, God did. So Moses goes down the hill, and he gets down to the bottom, and you get one of the more fun passages of Scripture, where he gets down to the bottom, and he gets so upset by what he's seeing. Because the Israelites, they're having this wild party, Remember? And he gets down there, he's so upset, he throws the tablets on the ground, and they're destroyed. Uh, and then the next part I find really interesting. Uh, he throws the calf into the fire. I'm trying to picture this. So Moses, at this point, isn't a young guy. And I wonder if Moses actually went and physically grabbed the calf and threw it in the fire himself, if he was really that angry, which could very well be the case. Or if he just said, we got to throw that in. And then he takes the gold that's been, you know, turned into this powder now. And he sprinkles it on, on the water and makes the Israelites drink it. Seems a little rough. But it's clear that Moses is upset by what's happening. I think one of the keys to 
intercessory prayer is what's going on has to upset us. For us to really intercede on someone else's behalf, we have to care. If I'm really going to intercede on your behalf, it can't be a matter of, well, whatever's going on with that person, ah, take care of it, God. Because if that's all I'm doing, <coughs> excuse me, do I really care? Have I showed God that I really cared? So step one for intercessory prayer, you got to care. And so this happens, and it continues on, and he has the Levites grab a bunch of swords. I need this water. <coughs> and uh, sorry. So Levites grab these swords, uh, and they go throughout the camp, and they wind up killing 3,000 people. It seems a little rough. You just try and picture this whole setting. And it's almost mind-boggling. And I think that's the point that Moses was getting at. It was just, what have you done? And it was so wild that Moses felt his only response was to have a couple people killed by a couple, 3,000, in order to bring things back under control. That's how wild this had gotten. And it gets to the end, and things have calmed down. And he asks Aaron, what's going on? How did this happen? Aaron's response, verse 22, Do not be angry, my lord. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, you know, take off this stole jewelry. I threw it into the fire. And out came this calf. So how many of you have given an answer like that? Right? We all have times where it's just like, here's my excuse. Oh, you're not buying that. Because it really doesn't make sense, right? And that's where Aaron's at here. And I can imagine Moses at this point. Um, a lot of my friends give me a hard time because... My hair seems to be receding and thinning much quicker than it has been previously. Um, and they say, well, you know, maybe Max is just getting you stressed out and pulling your hair out. Uh, but if that's the case, which I don't think it is, I can imagine at this point, Moses went from a full head of hair to almost nothing, pretty much overnight, because he is so frustrated. And so he says in verse 30, says to the people, he's got things calmed down, things are back under control. He says, you've committed a great sin. In case you weren't sure. In case you haven't gotten the fact that this was wrong. You know, there's 3,000 of you who are dead right now. You're drinking this water with gold in it. Um, you know, I think people are probably starting to get the idea that we really messed up. But just in case, he says, you committed this great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. You've got to love Moses here. Because without question, he cares. 
Like, there is no doubt that Moses cares about the Israelite people. Just remember God's offer. God's offer was, I will wipe them out and we will start over again with you. And you will be the father of this nation. It's like, no, we got we to stick with these people because this is what you promised. This is what people expect. I mean, part of his whole prayer was that you don't want the Israelites to be a laughingstock. You don't want the fact that you destroyed the Israelites to make you a laughingstock because other nations will look at it and say, well, why did he lead them out there? Well, just to destroy them, apparently. So in verse 31, Moses goes back to the Lord and says, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. What an incredible thing to pray. You know, forgive their sin, but if not, like if you can't, then wipe me out with them. Because they are my people. When you look at the beginning of Exodus and God's first calling Moses, he is incredibly reluctant to go. He doesn't want to go. He comes up with all kinds of excuses why he shouldn't be the one. We get here, and he's like, these are my people. Don't wipe them out, or if you're going to, you've got to wipe me out with them. Because I care too much about them to continue without them. I think in some ways, this can be a little tough for some of us to relate to. I think there's a particular calling that Moses has here uh, as their leader that he's going to care more about the Israelites than the average Israelite probably cares about the whole group. Um, and so we're going to look at a couple other examples. But before we get there, I want to look at God's response. So God's response in verse 33 says, The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me I will blot out of my book. Wait a second here. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like a no? So I'm using an example for intercessory prayer where God says no. Huh. But I want you to look at where God is in this. And I want you to try and imagine what God's thinking as he's meeting with Moses, as he's talking to Moses about this. Because I'm sure God remembers perfectly well talking to Moses from the burning bush and having Moses completely reluctant to have anything to do with this. And I'm sure at this point in time, God's sitting there and saying, oh, Moses, I am so, so proud of you. Because you got it. You care for these people the way I want you to. You love these people the way no one else other than their leader could. And I want you to think about that and say, how many times when we're praying for other people, when we're interceding on their behalf, do we hear the answer no and get discouraged? And maybe Maybe what we should hear is the other side of that, of the, oh, my child, I am so proud of you. 
you care so much about these people. You care almost as much as I do. That's awesome. That's where I want you to be. That's the mindset I want you to have. That's the love I want you to have for your fellow people, for your brothers and for your sisters. Wow, I'm so proud. If we can hear that answer, instead of sometimes that no, or maybe even just not yet, won't that change the way we approach intercessory prayer? I think for me, that removes a lot of the fear. That brings us from, well, I don't want to get a no, to, you know, but I want to hear from my dad that he's proud of me, that he loves me, and that he cares even more than I do about what I'm praying about. So let's look at a couple other instances. Maybe a little easier for you to... <coughs> relate to. Mark chapter 2. Give you a minute to flip there. So Mark chapter 2. Jesus has come back to Capernaum. And when people see that he's there, this great crowd comes up. As they've heard that Jesus has come home. They gather in such large numbers that there's no room left, even outside the door of the room. And he's sitting there and he's preaching to them. He's sharing his heart. He's sharing his desire for them and for their lives and how he wants them to live. And these men come and they're bearing a stretcher. He's got these four men. And they come and there's no way in because people are packed so tight. They're like, well, how do we get this, our friend who can't walk on his own, how do we get him to Jesus? And this is such a crazy picture because they take him and they climb up on the roof and then they start digging through the roof. So who's having us all over for a prayer meeting this afternoon so we can dig through your roof? Sounds a little odd, doesn't it? But they dig through this roof because it's the only way they can think of to get their friend to Jesus. And they get him there and they start lowering him down. And I love Jesus' response in verse 5. It's saying, when Jesus saw their faith, not the paralyzed man, not the people who are around, but the faith of the four friends who are lowering this person down to say, it's the only thing we can do. This is all we have left to help our friend. So he says to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now hold on a second. Because if we take that thought, that son, your sins are forgiven, and connect it back to Moses... Part of the problem for Moses was he's not capable of taking on the Israelites' sins. It's just not his role. He's not perfect. He's not capable of being that sacrifice, that substitution for their sins. But all of a sudden, here's Jesus. 
And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, of course, the teachers of the law get all up in their arms and be like, what's going on? That's blasphemy. Except it's not, because this is Jesus. And so even right here, we see that answer to Moses. Change from a no to a not yet. Now there's an opportunity. There's a way for those sins to be dealt with in the person of Jesus. So sometimes when you're praying and you feel like God's saying no, look closer. Maybe it is a not yet. Because I have no doubt that God desires to heal each and every one of us. That God desires to restore each and every one of us. Unfortunately, some of those we may not see, the side of Jesus is coming again. But oh, what a happy day that'll be when we can all together in perfect health join with Jesus. Long story short, the paralyzed man gets up. He's healed. And what did he do? Well, he didn't roll off of his mat while he was being lowered through the roof. As far as I can determine, that's about all he did. Except for, there is another step to it. Because Jesus finishes, after this discussion with the teachers of the law, of which is easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your mat and walk. Jesus finishes by saying, rise, take up your mat and walk. It would have been really easy for this guy who was paralyzed to respond, I can't, I'm paralyzed. That would have been a really weird situation. But he had faith, both in his friend's faith, who lowered him, in Jesus, obviously. And he gets up, he grabs his mat, and he walks out. Oh, to be one of those four friends in that moment. I can just imagine, they got this huge hole that they made in the roof. Uh, they don't care about that. They're jumping off the roof to go see their friend. They'll give him a big hug and say, oh, this is incredible. You can just picture tears streaming down all of their faces. Wow. Last part I want to look at. Mark chapter 9. Pick up the story in verse 14. And they came to the other disciples. So it's just after the transfiguration. So Peter, James, and John have been with Jesus up on the mountain. Saw some absolutely incredible things. They come down and they come to the other disciples and there's a large crowd around them. The teachers of the law are arguing with them. That seems like a fairly normal thing. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. And Jesus says, well, what are you arguing with him about? The man answers, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit 
who has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I have asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And I love how Jesus starts to reply here. He says to the father, how long has he been like this? It's not just a simple matter of, oh, I'm going to cast out this demon. Jesus cares about what's going on and what the father is feeling. I mean, it would be one thing for Jesus to cast the demon out, it's done with. But Jesus wants to know what the Father's heart is. Where is he really at with this? He says, how long has this been going on? Tell me your story. Kind of to put it another way. And the boy replies, from childhood, his father answers. He's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Wow. What a time that would be. I know every time Max puts himself in danger, which is way more often than I would like, uh, my heart kind of skips a beat. It's kind of a, what's going to happen? And this guy has had this since his child was just little. And it's trying to throw him into fire or water. What a life this guy has had. And then, he re- and then he continues on to say, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus replies. It's like he's saying, wait a second. Are you entirely sure who I am? <laughs> he says, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the father, boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. And then I think the key to this passage, help me overcome my unbelief. We come back to our expectations. And if we're expecting God to meet us there when these things happen, when we're praying, when we're at our wit's end, and we're down on our knees and we're crying and we're laying our soul bare. And we're expecting God to be there. I think this needs to be part of our prayer. Is I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Because we all have some, right? But I think we also need to be focused on, you know, if that answer is, not yet. Maybe there's a reason for that. Suffering isn't easy. We know that. I can't imagine being that father in this story who's had to watch his child every moment in case the spirit tried to throw him into a fire or into water to drown him. Or, Wow, that'd be hard. That's a long time of suffering with that. But I think if we approach suffering as not God punishing us, 
but God trying to teach us. God helping us. And God giving us a better understanding of our hope in him. Romans 5 says that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. It's funny because the verse right before that talks about rejoicing in the glory of, or in, our, in the hope of God. And it says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings because this is what suffering does. Produces perseverance and character and then we're back to hope. So even when things aren't great, even when things aren't 100% rosy and exactly as we would like and so we can easily see the hope of God, we can have confidence that in that suffering, if we're approaching it properly, and we persevere through it, that'll develop the character that will lead us back to the hope and the glory of God. What an incredible thing. Intercessory prayer is never going to be easy because it requires us First, to care. Requires second of all, that we're willing to just lay ourselves bare and say, God, whatever it takes, whatever I need to do, I will do it. If I need to try and take on the sins of these people, which God said, no, Moses, you can't. Why am I ever proud of you for wanting to? Or if it's a matter of climbing up on the roof and digging through this guy's roof so I can lower my friend down. Whatever it takes, that's where intercessory prayer leaves us. In that position of, I've done everything I can. God, this is up to you. But I think it's most beneficial to us when we're not approaching it as a, what, I can, what can God do for me? But what can I get from God in this? How can I meet with God? How can I have him develop my character? How can I have him share his heart with me in these moments? I'm hoping that in those times, you will hear on a regular basis how proud of you God is for caring that much about others. But I'm also hoping that when the answer is a little bit of continued suffering, that you won't shy away. That you'll be willing to persevere through the suffering so that God can develop your character and bring everything back to our hope and the glory of God. Because that's where we need to be resting. And it's sometimes only through perseverance that we will get back there. Apparently I'm done. No. <laughs> so I want to challenge you uh, before you leave today. Take the time. Choose something. It doesn't need to be something huge something that you're going to intercede on someone else's behalf about and really pray to God about that and don't be afraid of an answer of not yet 
Know that God desires to heal or to restore, whatever the case may be, that person. Hope for a miracle, absolutely. But be willing to persevere if the answer is not yet. Okay? Let's pray. God, I come before you today and I know that intercessory prayer is not easy. Uh, it's not something that comes naturally for any of us, it seems. Uh, for those who are good at it, uh, it's just amazing to watch them. Uh, but for the rest of us, uh, it can be a real challenge. And I just ask that you would really uh, allow us to feel your presence as we're interceding for others. That you would allow us to know that uh, if the answer isn't exactly what we expected, it is in no way because you don't care. Uh, you care even more than we do. Encourage us. Help us step just a little deeper into our relationship with you. Eager to pray for others, care for others in ways that we've never done before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.